0: night through Saturday night, starting at 6 o'clock for one hour. We have some worship. We'll share some of the Word and we'll be praying. We'll be praying for our church and ourselves individually, our families, and be praying for our city, our state, and our nation. So uh, I want to just encourage you, if you feel like you need a breakthrough, you want to see God do something great in your life, I want to encourage you to join us for this time of prayer and fasting. So, today we are... um, Uh, This is Palm Sunday, as uh, Josh had mentioned, and uh, Palm Sunday, some of you may know what it means, some of you may not, but this is the, Palm Sunday is really the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. Actually, Palm Sunday is the last four days of Jesus' life, and um, so I want to just, I want to make sure that we know that we're not just kind of going through the motions and doing things, but we understand what we do and why we're doing it. And so, uh, in um, in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, uh, Palm Sunday is just kind of leading up to Passover, and I want to just give you a little intro to that, uh, first of all. Um, you, you guys know the Passover story, I hope you do. Uh, the children of Israel had been slaves, this is, a, you know, once again in a time of captivity for over 400 years, they were slaves down in Egypt, and... Um, God raises up a man by the name of Moses as a, a deliverer, uh, and so he goes in, performs all these incredible signs and wonders, these miracles before Pharaoh, and uh, asking Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go, that they could go out into the wilderness to worship God, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he didn't, and you guys know, you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you've read the story that the you know Moses' staff turns into a snake, and, the magician's staff turns into a snake, and Moses' staff eats up their snake, and, and then the water turns to blood, frogs come across the land, and lice and darkness plague the land, and then uh, the final plague was called the death of the firstborn, and uh, God instructed Moses, he said, this is what I want you to do, uh, he said, I want you to go out on the, uh, and this, is, let me just kind of read this, and I'll come back to just kind of narrating the thing. And Moses uh, says, uh, God says to, to Moses, this is going to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, 10th day of the first month of the year, each man is to take a lamb for his family and one for uh, each of his household. And uh, if the household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it with one of their nearest neighbors having taken the account of the number of people that are there, and then you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person, what each person is going to eat. The animal you choose must be a year old male without defect. You may take them from your sheep or your goats and take them in until the 14th day of the month. So you go out into the field on the 10th day of the month, you get a lamb, and you bring that lamb into the house. You don't put it in a pen or a stall. The lamb is actually part of the family. comes into the, um, into the house until the 14th day of the month. And then when all of the community of Israel is gathered, they must uh, slaughter the lamb at twilight. And so then uh, Moses, uh, God instructed Moses that so at twilight, then you would sprinkle the, the header and the side post with the blood of the lamb. And God said that that night when this death angel would come through, that every house that he saw this blood on, that he would pass over. But the house that he didn't see the blood on, that house would be stricken, and the firstborn son of that house would be taken, would, would die. And so that is where we get the Passover. And so Jesus comes in on, um, on this, uh, what we call Palm Sunday, and he's coming in, and, and let me just back up just a second. The, you bring the, the lamb to the house. You pick the lamb on the 10th day of the month. You bring the, the lamb for four days, and you watch it. You're looking at the lamb. You're kind of checking it out. Does the lamb have any blemish? Does it have any, like, you know, is it lame? Is it crippled? Has it got any kind of eye disease? Is there anything wrong with this lamb that would disqualify it from being a sacrificial lamb, because God says, bring your best. Don't bring your crippled, don't bring your blind, don't bring, you know, the lame into me and offer them as a sacrifice. I want the very best of your flock. And so, um, let me just, uh, uh, I, I want to pick up, um, I, I, so what what we see Jesus doing on Palm Sunday is that Palm Sunday is, remember what what John the Baptist said about Jesus <clears throat> when he saw him and John's disciples and, and John points out Jesus and he says, come on church, help me out. What does he say? Behold the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So John sees Jesus and he says, this is the Lamb of God right here pointing to Jesus that's going to take away the sins of the world. And so Jesus does his ministry for about three years, almost three and a half years and then this is the last week. Jesus is coming up to Jerusalem for the final time, and he comes into t- to town. Now, get this. Here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, comes into town, comes into Jerusalem on the 14th day. That's the same day that God told Moses, I want you to go out, and get that lamb, and bring it into your household, and you observe him for, t- for four days. You're going to watch that lamb for four days. So here comes the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he comes into Jerusalem, and he's there for four days. I'm going to, I've got some stuff in your notes that I'm just going to kind of skip, but this is the beginning. Let me just kind of just get into the, the heart of this. It says, this is a four-day period. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth- Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said, Go to the village ahead of you, and once you're there, you will find a donkey tied and with her, a colt by her, and tie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughters of Zion, this is written in Zechariah chapter, I believe it's chapter 9, verse 9, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Say to the daughters of Zion, See, your king is coming to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus tells the disciples, Go in and get this donkey and bring it to me. I'm going to ride into town on this donkey. Here comes the king riding into town on a donkey. You might think, Well, you know, I mean, is that the way a king should really come in? You know, this is it was a, it was a sign of peace. When a when a um, a king came in, and you'll remember perhaps you will, when Solomon was ordained as the king, he was anointed king of Israel, he came riding on a white mule. He didn't come on the big stallion. The stallion meant, you know, war, coming, you know, as a sign of war and strength. Now, if you read Revelation 19, it says that the heavens were open and the Son of God is sitting on a white stallion, a white horse, and he's coming and all of his followers are riding white horses. They're coming to make war. They're coming to, to wage war. But now he's coming in this particular scene right here, he's coming as peace. He's coming to make peace. He is our peace. He's my peace and your peace. And so fulfilling the scripture out of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, your king is coming lowly, gently, riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went, and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks. This is the disciples placing their clothing uh, on, uh, kind of like making a saddle blanket for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches uh, from trees and spread them on the roads. This is where we get the Palm Sunday. If you go back to um, Psalm 118. It talks about this whole story, written hundreds of years before this actually even takes place, but it talks about how they uh, come and join this festive, festive procession, laying with their bows in hand, and they begin to say, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna in the highest. It's only mentioned, that word is only mentioned six times in the Bible. One time in Psalm 118, and then in the, the Gospels. In fact, Luke is the only Gospel that it's not mentioned in. But they come in, and the crowds are gathering around. These are men and women that have witnessed these miracles. They've seen the blind, um, given sight, the crippled, uh, layman the cripple made to walk, leprosy healed, uh, the dead even raised, and they begin to shout out. I mean, it's a joy, incredibly joyful time. They're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so Jesus had just said, and you know, uh, I probably won't get to it here, but uh, it says that he had, had been rejected by the religious leaders. And this is a couple of chapters prior to what we're reading now. And Jesus had been rejected by the religious leaders, and many of the people had rejected him. And he says, you won't see me, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the criteria. And this is what happens if you read Zechariah chapter 12, Revelation 19 that I just mentioned. That's what happened. The people recognize that they had missed the Messiah and they come to a place where they repent and they ask God for forgiveness and they cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so now we read, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet. Notice they they don't recognize him as Messiah yet. They recognize him as the great prophet, the one who is performing all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. They recognize him as this prophet from Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all that were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those that were selling doves. It is written, he said of them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame, listen to this, the blind and the lame, this is, this, this is within that four day time period, that last four days of Jesus' life, the blind and the lame are still coming to him at the temple and he's healing them and the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, and they were indignant. Why were they indignant? Because this was a psalm that everyone knew from Psalm 118. History had had stated that this psalm is a psalm for the Messiah. This psalm would only be shouted when the Messiah came in and so the people are shouting this Hosanna Hosanna in the highest and the religious leaders are just they are up, terribly upset at the scripture says they are indignant it says and they said do you hear what these children are saying they ask him yes replied Jesus have you never read from the lips of children and infants Lord you have brought forth perfect praise and so Jesus is being brought into the town and now he's, he's, he's been looked at by the people, and now the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the lawyers, This remember this is that four-day period of examination. And I want to just walk you through a couple of this. It says, and the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin that's used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? Like, just like our coins today, we've got George Washington, Lincoln, other people on there. He says, whose uh, image and superscription is this? Caesar's, they replied. And he said, so give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. So they tried to lay the trap. And then, you know, Jesus didn't take the bait. It says, but when they heard his answer, they were amazed. And they left him and went away. Then, the same day, the Sadducees, okay, you have Pharisees, they believe in the resurrection and spirits and angels. The Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. They just believe once you die, you die. Then the same day, the Sadducees, who uh, say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. They said, teacher, uh, they say Moses told us about a man if he dies and has cho- or without having children his brother must marry his widow and raise up an offspring for him. Now there were 7 brothers among us and the first one married and died and since he had no children he left the wife to his brother and the same thing happened to the second and the third and right on down to the 7th finally the woman died. Now in the resurrection what they're saying is that you know all 7 have been married to her they all die, and they go to heaven. So here's the trick question, Jesus. In heaven, in heaven, when they all get to heaven, since you believe in heaven, uh, in heaven, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus said, you're in error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given in marriage, but they will be like the angels in heaven about the resurrection of the dead, have you never read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Now listen to this. That was the test. That was the test. It says, but when the crowd heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And then it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him, notice, the, the Lamb of God, I've got to keep bringing you back. The children of Israel went out on the 10th day of the month. They brought that lamb in, and they tested the lamb for four days. Watching that little lamb, is there a spot? Is there a blemish? Is, there a, is this a lamb that we can use? Jesus is being tested by the religious leaders, by the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so is this, this is a test. And it says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. No one could say a word. Listen, here's what they they came up with. No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He passed the test. They couldn't trick him in anything. He passed the test. And so then um, we move forward. We move right up until that that was the first day of the week. And he spent those next three or four days in the city engaging with the religious leaders. And then we come up to what we would call Wednesday evening. And on Wednesday evening, um, they have the Passover meal. Jesus has the Passover meal. He washes the feet of the disciples. Um, He... um, um, has communion with them. Jews, the Bible says that Judas, Satan entered into Judas and he went out and uh, had this uh, plan with the, with the priest and sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then that night Jesus is arrested and brought in to stand before the chief priest and the, uh, uh, and the high priest. And it says in the chief priest, here's another test, okay? And the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin uh, were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death but they did not find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, and finally, two of them came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Okay, that's one of the charges that Jesus was guilty of, okay? He said, destroy "Destroy this temple. He was talking about his body, but they thought he was talking about the temple of God, the beautiful, you know, uh, structure. And so... Uh, Jesus was guilty of being the the Son of God, calling Himself the Son of God. He was guilty of saying that if you destroy this temple that He would raise it up in three days. He was guilty of being called the King of the Jews and He was uh, uh, guilty of being called the Messiah. Those were all charges that Jesus was guilty of. We go on from uh, the examination of the high priest And then the high priest decided that they want to have Jesus crucified, so he has to be taken and examined before Pilate. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, is examined and tested before Pilate. And Jesus answered uh, Pilate, he says, You say that I am a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came to the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone that is on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out to the Jews gathered there. Now, listen to what Pilate says. He says, I find no basis for a charge against him. That's in John 18. In John chapter 19, it says, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate is examining the Lamb of God. And then we see, that was in verse 4, we see in verse 6, Pilate once again says, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. So he's been examined by the people. He's been examined by the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders and the teachers of the law. He's been examined by the, the high priest and the chief priest, and he's been examined by both Herod and Pilate. I left Herod's part out of there. All of them have said, They find no reason, no reason to crucify this man. There is no basis, uh, Pilate says, for bringing a charge against him. The Lamb of God has withstood the test. And so, guys, I want to just, I'm just going to wrap this up uh, just quickly here. But I want to, how many of you have ever seen that movie? Um, It's called uh, Buried. Anybody ever seen that movie? Buried. 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 Man, I tell you what, this is the most intense thing. I, I'm going to tell you about it, but don't see it, okay? I mean, I, I mean this, this is so intense. It's about a guy in I, Iraq, and he's, a, he's with a, uh, a, a, um, he's an um, independent civilian contractor, and he's, he's a truck driver and driving supplies. And his truck uh, in a convoy of trucks is ambushed. And uh, the uh, in Iraq, and these guys capture him, and they take him and put him in a coffin, and they bury the coffin. This whole movie is like shot from inside the coffin. I mean, and it shows just the. I mean, all of the stuff that this guy is going through inside the coffin. He has a uh, he has a cigarette lighter, and he has a uh, he has a cell phone. And he has a little glow light and, um, you know, I think just a little bit of water. And uh, he's trying to, he has no idea where he is. And uh, uh, he's trying to contact, I mean, he's trying to contact his wife. I mean, he, he, he honestly believes that he's going to die in this thing. He wants to contact those that he loves and tells them, tell them how much he loves them. And, you know, he keeps getting, you know, put on hold. He's got a limited amount of battery on his phone. And the thing is just like it's driving him crazy. And uh, then he calls the contractor that hired him. And uh, he's having a conversation with them. And they're like, yeah, we're going to try to find you. And uh, then he contacts the State Department. And he's like, you know, I can't tell you where I am. I can tell you the city I am, where I am. But I can't tell you where I am because I'm, I'm buried. I'm, you know, in a coffin. And I'm in the ground. And, you know, I need help. But I can't tell you how to help me. And uh, uh, this goes on. I mean, you know, he's running out of oxygen in the coffin. And um, then there's this huge cave-in, uh, and and the sand starts filling in. And it's like it's like an hourglass filling this coffin up, and the guy's just terrified. He's just panic, 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 and um, the, uh, the 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 state guy that worked for, with the state department is like, you know, we're close. We know we did we've done a. Like a cross signal, or whatever they do that. You know, we've got a a location of your phone. We think we found you, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, you you just—I mean, you're just like you know, you're panicking with the guy. I mean, you're trying to breathe with him, and you know, the sand is coming in. It's like this hourglass is filling up, and you know, he's like, you know, I hear trucks in the street, and the guy's like, "Yes, yes, yes, we're getting close. We're getting close to you." And you know, I mean, the coffin is about three quarters full, and. You know, he's like, tell my wife I love her and my kids I love, her, love them. And, you know, he's still talking on the phone and the thing is filling up with sand. And the guy's like, hang on, we're there. We're getting close. We're getting close. We're getting close. And, you know, he's like, yes, we found you. We found you. We're there. We're right there. We're digging you up. You know, right now we're digging you up. And, and then it, it, this is the way the movie ends. And the guy's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's someone else. You know, and so then that's the way the movie ends. That's the way the movie ends. I mean, it is just intense. You're living right on the edge of your seat. I said all of that to say that that when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, the Bible says that at just the right time, in Romans, I think it's Romans chapter 5, it says, you see, that just at the right time, when we were still powerless, I mean, there was nothing that we could do that Christ died for the ungodly. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened, you know, that, that just at the right time. I mean, when I couldn't do anything, unlike this movie, you know, that no help, no help was on the way for that guy. He thought it was, it was like a false hope. No help was coming there. But, you know, Jesus is not like that. He will never leave you hanging. He will always show up and he's never late. And so what we learned from this, this Passover message. Is that the story of Passover is about three things. That the children of Israel had been taken captives by their enemies. That's what sin does to you and I. You know, I mean, sin will take you captive. Uh, It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be sexual perversion. Some kind of sexual sin. It can be hatred. It can be unforgiveness or bitterness. It can be broken relationship. But you will be taken. You can be taken captive by sin. And the story a passover the story of easter is that just like god saw the children of israel enslaved and entrapped by the egyptians you know god sent moses and had them sacrifice a passover lamb the story of easter is this that god sent his son this passover lamb sacrificed for your sins and for my sins so that we could be set free from the powers of darkness that is the message of easter and it's worth giving him a shout of praise for it says, number one, it says that we have been delivered from the powers of darkness. All of these scriptures come from Colossians. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son of his lo- that He loves, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sin. The second part is that we've been forgiven, just like the children of Israel, out of bondage, forgiven by God. It says that we were dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature uh, was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins. And then finally, the third point is that we have a home in heaven. The children of Israel, they were delivered out of Egypt. Their sins were forgiven. And God said, I'm sending you to a promised land. That's what's exactly what's happened to you and I, that God has broken the power of darkness in our life. He set us free from Satan's bondage. He's forgiven us our sins, and he's given us a home in heaven. It says that since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Set your sights. I mean, we are here, but we're just traveling through. We're just strangers, the Bible says, in this land. This earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And Jesus has made a way. That's what he told the disciples. He said, you know, I, I'm going away. I've prepared a place for you. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. And i prepared a place for you that where I am, you might be also. God wants you to be with him. That's his plan. That's his purpose. But, you know... Some of you are just kind of like in the shadows right now. You're so close. You're so close to being redeemed. You're so close to being saved, but you need to take that next step. Some of you remember the story of uh, Elizabeth Smart. You guys remember that story, young girl? I think it was about 2000, I think it was 2000, 2005, something like that. I can't remember the exact date. But uh, she was, um, her and her sister were sleeping in the bedroom She was 14 years old, her sister was 10 years old, and this maniac comes in their room at night, cuts the screen open, and takes this little girl, 14 years old, takes her captive. And uh, he rapes her every day, sometimes several times a day, takes her away from her family, and uh, disguises her, puts on all these disguises on her uh, so that she won't be recognized. But there was one case, I don't know if you guys had followed the story, she was held captive for almost a year, I think about 10 months. I think she was taken captive in, in uh, April and, uh, and she was found, uh, maybe June, and she was found in March. So about 10 months she was taken captive. But there was one place that they were in a library and it was the, the guy that, uh, that had taken her captive and his wife and Elizabeth Smart, they were in a library. And a policeman came in and started asking them questions and ask if she would remove her veil so he could get a look at her face. And this guy says, no, it's against our religion. We can't let you look at her face. I mean, they were that, she was that close, that close to salvation. She was that close to being delivered. She was that close. I mean, just right there, the policeman is in the room with her and asking questions. And the policeman, listening to their desire not to have her unveiled, turned around and walked out. And it wasn't until some months later that she was found. Guys, I want to tell you, some of you are that close this morning to salvation. I mean, God is knocking on your door this morning, and he wants to save you, and he wants to deliver you. But there is an enemy that would keep a veil over your face and keep you hidden from the light of the world. And God's saying, you know, don't let that happen. Break forth, break forth. Won't you just stand with me? I want to pray with you. And I want to, um, worship team, if you guys will come back up. But I want to just give you an opportunity, as Frank said earlier, that today is the day of salvation. This perfect lamb of God came into Jerusalem. He was examined for four days, and he passed every test. He is the sacrificial lamb of God who laid his life down for my sins and your sins. And the only thing that you have to do is receive this lamb of God. Remember how I talked about that in uh, Egypt they took the blood and applied it to the header and to the doorpost? See, the Bible says that you and I need to take the blood of Jesus and apply it to our lives. Because there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So... With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, this morning I'm just going to ask you, you know, you're close, and you. I believe that some of you are sensing God's Holy Spirit just tugging on your heart today, that today is the day of salvation, and you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you want to receive Him today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up high. Just get your hand up high, high, high. Come on, come on. Don't be afraid. I see hands going up all over this place right now. I see one, two, three, four, five, six. 7, eight, nine, 10, 11, back in the back. Okay, you can put your hands down. Come on, let's give a, a shout of praise for God working in the life of these people. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray this prayer. I want our leadership to come up. If You guys will come up, and we're going to pray. But uh, those of you that raised your hand, this is how you get saved. You just simply say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. You can just say this in the stillness and the quietness of your heart. And I believe, based on the words that I heard this morning, that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins. And I want to receive him, this Lamb of God, as my salvation. I received Jesus Christ this morning as the perfect sacrificial Lamb of God that died on the cross for my sins. I'm asking you that you'd wash me in the blood of your son, Jesus, Father, that you would write my name in the Lamb's book of life, and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and cause me to live my life for you and your son, Jesus. I ask these things in Jesus' name. You prayed that prayer, I'm gonna tell you that the Bible says that God listens. He hears and he responds. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Will you be perfect this afternoon? Will you be perfect tomorrow? Will you be perfect 10 years from now if you live that long? No but you are on the salvation road and God will fill you with his Holy Spirit and he will lead you and guide you and and show you a better way, a better way of life, a better way to live life. For those of you that are struggling today, maybe you've got a struggle in your marriage and your relationship, your finances, maybe your world is falling apart. I wanna just tell you that that's what this message of Easter is about. The message of Easter is about salvation this incredible salvation that God has sent. The message of the resurrection is that there is nothing so impossible that God can't change it. Faith does not operate in the realm of possibilities, and there is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Impossibilities are the foundation where God does his best work. God wants to do something incredible in your life today. Maybe you're a believer and you've just been sitting, waiting for God to do something. I wanna encourage you not to give up hope because help is on the way. Unlike my illustration of being buried, your heavenly Father knows your dire strait. He knows the problems that you're in. He knows the situation, the circumstances that you're facing. And I want to tell you that help is on the way. He's coming to your aid this morning. Let's just lift up a shout of praise to our God. So if you want to pray about something, do you have anything that you want to pray about? Our, our prayer ministers are here. We want to pray with you. Uh, we want to just join together. The Bible says that one person can put a 1,000 of the enemy to flight, but two people can put 10,000 to flight. Let us join with you. you. know, Maybe you've got a struggle in your life. Maybe you got a sin problem in your life. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I mean, we've all struggled with sin. We've all, you know, I was surprised. And just, let me just kind of deviate here just a little bit. But I was surprised. How many of you, I just, I'm going to ask you, because this is a testimony to what God has done. How many of you here in the congregation have had a drug problem and God has delivered you from that. I want you to just raise your hand right now. Raise your hands up high right now because you can look around here and you can see that there are people here, you know, you may be you may be having a drug problem right now. I want to tell you that there is hope for you in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone to bl- that believe." There is power, if you're struggling with a drug problem or a a sexual problem or any kind of sin problem in your life, I'm gonna tell you, there is a power in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to deliver you from that and set you free. That is why He came. The Bible says, for this reason was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the devil. If you'll give Him the opportunity, if you'll ask Him to come in, He'll destroy the work of the devil. In your life. I know that. I can testify for sure myself. Amen? All right. So, you guys want to close us in a song? Okay. So, we're going to close in a song. You guys just continue to stand. We're going to sing for about, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds. And then uh, I'll come up and pray over you. Those of you that want prayer can come forward.